because we know so many of you. And uh, it's just, it, it is good to be here. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I want you to be aware of something that relates to our story. Uh, this is a pretty familiar story. It's about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But what I want you to be aware of, that when Lazarus became sick, Jesus more than likely was in a community named Perea, which was 20 miles away from Lazarus was, uh, from where Lazarus was, which is about a two-day's journey back during uh, those times. So keep that in mind as we read John chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to look through the first uh, 17 verses here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not, in de- will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light." After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Well, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus has been dead for four days. When Jesus gets the word that Lazarus is sick, what does he do? He hangs out in Perea for two more days. Then, after two days, he leaves for Bethany, which takes how long to get there? Two days. Now, I'm not a math scholar, but two days plus two days makes four days. How long has Lazarus been in the tomb? Four days. So when Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus knew that. Verse 14, he even tells his disciples that Lazarus is dead. So he didn't go hurrying back to Bethany to heal Lazarus. There was no need to because Jesus knew he was already dead. You ever stop and think how much God knows? God knew what was going on in Lazarus' life. 
He knew what was going on with Mary and with Martha. And God knows what's going on in your life as well. He knows what's going on in my life. I was smiling to myself as I was thinking about this because cause for rejoicing in our household. God knows, and, and all of my other sons and daughter knew that my middle son got engaged last night. Uh, so we were like, ah, oh, you think Drew's going to call home? He didn't. So, uh, I mean, we assumed that it happened because he let us all know. But God knew that was going to happen. God knows the struggles you're going through. He knows if finances are tight. He knows if you don't have a job. He knows if you've got problems in a relationship. Moms and dads, he knows if one of the kids or several of the kids are gone off on the deep end and wayward and you're struggling with that. He knows if you've got a crummy attitude. He knows if things are going well. God just knows. He knows everything about what's going on in your life. And not only that, not only does God know what's going on in your life, God knows you. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, the first four verses, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. The word searched in this passage literally means to explore. It conveys the idea of digging through something. When I was in high school, I was in the music group at at Family Life, and we did a musical that was called Natural High. And in the musical, there are two guys and two girls who have dialogue, and one of the guys and one of the girls are believers, and the other guy and the other girl are not believers. And all throughout the musical, you hear the Christian couple really trying to be a witness to the the unsaved couple. And at one point during the musical, the one guy says to the girl who doesn't know the Lord, Jackie, can you dig it? And I I laugh at that now, but that's how we talked back in the early 70s. I remember the girl I was dating in high school. I remember telling her, I really dig you. Because I, I mean, I, yeah. And my, I tell my kids that, and they said, what'd you do? Give her a shovel for her birthday, Dad? <clears throat> but the idea is to uncover as much as you can about that person. And this is how the psalmist is using the word. God digs us. He knows everything about us. So God knows. God also cares. I find it interesting that the sisters send back the message to Jesus saying, He's sick. They do not send back the message, Please come quickly. Now, to me, at least in my mind, that would be the logical thing to say. You know, after you tell him, Lord, he's sick, she's sick, please come quickly. Why didn't they say, come quickly? Well, I think the reason why they didn't say is because they knew they didn't need to say it. Because they knew that Jesus was the most caring man they had ever met. He had more compassion than anyone else that they knew. 
Now, let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on here as far as how they mourned back then. In our story, there's a lot of mourning going on. Deep mourning lasted for seven days, of which the first three days, it was nonstop weeping. They just cried and cried and cried. But during those first seven days of the deep mourning, you pretty much were not allowed to do anything else. I mean, you couldn't put your shoes on. You couldn't conduct business. They didn't even allow you to bathe. All you did was mourn. And then after the seven days, it kind of continued on, but some of the restrictions were lifted, and uh, they continued to maybe not mourn as deeply. Well, Jesus arrives on day four of the morning. So the deep mourning is going on. And we didn't read the verses, but in verse, verses 20 through 27, Martha kind of gets into a theological discussion with Jesus, and she says, if only you had been here sooner. And then the verses following that, 28 through 32, Mary basically says the same thing. Lord, if you had only been here. And then verse 33, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, when I say God cares... I'm saying that God is moved by what moves us. The Greek word here used for deeply moved in verse 33 is the same word used to describe a horse snorting. Now think that through for a moment because I think what John is implying here is that when Jesus saw Mary and the others weeping and and just struggling with the fact they have just lost their brother. Jesus lets out an involuntary gasp. The wind literally went out of him. He physically felt their sorrow with everything he had. Everything that made up his being. He felt it. And that's not all. The original language of the story takes this a step further. It infers that Jesus is angry. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what in the world is he angry at? He's not angry at Martha and Mary. What is he angry at? Well, you know what he's angry at? He is angry at death. This enemy that has caused so much pain. Pastor Mark Adams likens this to a big brother. And you know that I already have one. <clears throat> likens this to a big brother who hears about one of his younger brothers or sisters being bullied. And you know what a big brother does. I mean, they go over and boom, you leave my kid, brother, or sister alone. I can beat them up, but don't you touch them. You know, you stick up for them. Well, that's the idea here. Jesus responds in anger, and he says, where have you laid him? And he's saying, where is this bully known as death? Take me to him, and I will show him who's boss. 
God cares. He is moved by what moves us. And he sets an awesome example. Because not only does he care, he wants us to care just like he does. One of the more memorable stories I think I've ever come across, Dr. Tony Campolo, who has since retired, uh, used to be a prophet uh, uh, at a university, told a story about how one time when he flew into Honolulu, Hawaii, he was going to have some meetings there. And he was tired when he arrived, so he went to his hotel and he went to sleep. But, but you fly through that many time zones, it kind of messes up your body clock. And he found himself wide awake at 2.30 in the morning, and he was hungry. So he got up, got dressed, and started walking the streets of Honolulu looking for some place that was open where he might get something to eat. And he said, I finally walked down this one dark alley, and I found this greasy spoon place. It was the only thing that was open. And he goes, and I thought, I've got to go in there. I'm hungry. And he walks in, and he sees this overweight guy with this greasy apron on and his belly sticking out from behind the apron. And he just saw greasiness, and he lost his appetite. And the guy goes, what can I get you? And Campolo sat down at the counter. He looked over and saw some donuts that were underneath a, a, a plastic cover. He goes, well, give me one of those donuts and some black coffee. He goes, that'll hold me over. <clears throat> And while he was sitting there eating his donut, 10 to 12 prostitutes walked in and sat down on either side of him. And Campolo said, man, right away I thought, i got to finish this donut and get out of here. I do not want to be around these people. And the girl, the lady sitting next to him, looked at at, uh, one of her co-workers And she said, you know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39 years old. And the other girl looked at her and said, well, what do you want from me? Big deal. It's your birthday. You want want me to throw you a birthday party, bake you a birthday cake? I'm not going to do any of that. And this lady looked at her and she goes, what do you got to be so mean for? All I said, it was my birthday. And no, I'm not expecting you to do anything for me. Why should I expect you to throw me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my entire life. And Tony Campolo said, as soon as I heard her say that, I immediately made a decision. He sat there and he waited until they all left. And then he looked at the greasy-haired guy with the big belly behind the counter. Found out his name was Harry. He says, Harry, do those women come in here every night? And he said, yeah. He goes, that one that was sitting next to me, does she come in here every night? Harry said, yeah, that's Agnes. She's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? And Campolo looked at him and he said, what do you think, Harry? How about we throw a birthday party for her tomorrow morning at 3 o'clock? Harry looked at Tony Campolo and he smiled. He goes, I think that's a great idea. And he turned and he yelled out through the kitchen to his wife. He said, hey, get out here. She came out. He goes, this guy's got a brilliant idea. 
And he shared with his wife what they were going to do. And she said, I'll bake a cake. This is great. So Campolo, the next day, <coughs> went and got all the crepe paper and stuff that you would decorate the place for. And they baked a cake. And he got up. And 2.30 the next morning, he comes to this greasy spoon of a place. And he gets the place looking really nice. Harry had spread the word, got a hold of a bunch of the other girls and said, this is what we're going to do, you know, spread the word. And at three o'clock in the morning, Campolo said half the prostitutes in Honolulu walked through the door. He said, we had between 30 and 40 women in this greasy spoon, all waiting for Agnes. And sure enough, around 3.30, Agnes and one of her friends walked in and they were all primed and ready and they yelled out, happy birthday, Agnes! And she was stunned. Her knees buckled and somebody had to grab her to keep her from falling. And she's like, I can't believe this. And then Harry's wife brought the cake out with all the candles lit. And she said, happy birthday, Agnes. And they presented her with this cake. And Campolo said, Agnes couldn't take her eyes off the cake. And the girl started yelling, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow them out. So she blew them out. All right, cut the cake, Agnes. Cut it. And Agnes just kept looking at the cake. And finally, she said, um, uh, Harry, would it, would, it, would it be okay if I, if I don't cut the cake right away? And she's just looking at it. And Harry said, well, sure, Agnes, you can do what you want. It's your birthday. And she said, I've just never had a birthday cake before. He goes, if you want to take it home, take it home. She goes, can I really? He goes, sure. She goes, I just want to take it home and set it on my counter so I can look at it, and I'll come right back, I promise. And she picked up that cake and she just carried it out in front of her and marched out of there, and she left. And it was an awkward moment because nobody knew what to do. So Campolo said, you know what, why don't we pray for Agnes? So they all said, okay. And so Tony Campolo, with about 30 prostitutes in a greasy spoon, at 3.30 in the morning is having a prayer meeting now. And he prayed specifically for Agnes, prayed for her health, prayed for her salvation, prayed that God would become very real in her life. And when he got done praying, Harry, behind the counter, looks over at him and he says, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What church do you belong to? And Campolo said, it was one of those moments where the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in such a way that the exact words that needed to be said came out. He looked at Harry and he said, I belong to the church that believes in throwing birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry looked at Tony Campolo and he said, No, you don't. Because a church like that doesn't exist. 
And if it did, I'd be a member there too. Do you care for others? Do you care for people who might not live the way you think they ought to live? Do you genuinely care? See, our Lord sets the example here. He cares. He cares for all of you. He cares for me. He cares for what's going on in our lives. And He wants us to do exactly the same thing. Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the people He's saying this to all look at Him dumbfounded, and they say, Lord, Lord, when did we do that? What in the world are you talking about? And he said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you have done to me. Do you care? Years ago when my daughter was playing basketball in grade school, My wife and I went to watch her play, and we walked into this tiny gym. And a bunch of other parents that we knew were seated there. And there were two two ladies who were a couple there to watch their daughter play. And nobody went near them. The whole group was here, and then these two women were over here. And my wife turned around and she looked at me. She said, we're going to go sit next to them. And I remember looking at her and was like, really? And she said, look at the way they're being treated. And, you know, Mr. supposed to be the spiritual leader in the family, you know, like, uh, good idea, dear. And she marched right over there and she sat down next to them. And I thought, well, I'm with her. I guess I better go. I felt uncomfortable. But we came out of that game and my wife looked at me. She goes, it is so sad how we treat others just because maybe they're not like us. I've never forgotten that. Do you care? And if you do care, is it just for those who are kind of like you? Or is it for everybody? Whatever you did for the least of these, you have done it unto me. Well, we're back in our story. In verse 34, the Bible tells us Jesus weeps. Interesting thing about here, you might not agree with me on this, but I don't believe he's, he's weeping for Mary and Martha. I think he's weeping for somebody else. He's not weeping for Mary and Martha, because remember, God knows. He knows what he's about to do. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he knows their tears of sorrow are going to quickly turn to tears of joy. He's not weeping for them. I think the reason Jesus weeps is because he's weeping for Lazarus. Why would you think that? Well, think about it. He is about to pull Lazarus back from being in the presence of God. 
He is about to pull Lazarus away from a place of perfection. A place where there's no sickness and there's no hurting and there's no crying and there's, there's no death, there's no disease. It's in the presence of God and he's about to take that away from him. I think Jesus is weeping for Lazarus. And I think that response just reiterates how much he cares. Jesus cares for you. He knows. He cares. His love for us is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. He loves us enough sometimes to let us go through difficult times to grow us up. And the final thought here is God rules. God knows. God cares. God rules. Verses 21 through 25, Jesus basically tells Martha, don't put your faith in in theology Put it in me because I rule over all, even death itself. The Jews believed that the spirit hovered near the body for three days after somebody died. And then once the body started decomposing, that was when the spirit departed. And I think it's no accident that Jesus timed his arrival to be four days after Lazarus was in the tomb. Everybody there, this all hope was gone. Lazarus is gone. I mean, he's not coming back. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he ignores all the warnings of the stench and the smell and the odor. And he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you know the story body that had been in the grave for four days walks out. Many commentators believe that the reason why Jesus called Lazarus by name is because if he hadn't, everybody in the tombs would have walked out. Now, wouldn't that have been a sight? He rules over all, including death. God knows. God cares. God rules. And you and I get the privilege of calling him Father. You and I get the privilege of serving him. This amazing father of ours who knows everything about us yet still cares for us. And he's in control. I hope that blesses your heart because I know it does me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we can learn from it. Thank you for what it teaches us about you. And Lord, while we know now that you dig us, help us to dig you, to dig through your word and to learn about you so that we know you better and better, so that we understand your ways, so that we learn 
to care the way you want us to care. Oh God, thank you for the example you have set for us. Give us the grace, the willpower, and the knowledge to follow your example. In your name we pray. Amen.